Hey, welcome to the Morning Mic Check. I'm Pat Brown here with Mike Metzger. Mike and I have known each other for a while now. I first met him around 2010, and he's become one of the key mentors in my life. Over the years, we've had countless conversations, and in almost every one, I've walked away having discovered something new. Mike has this unique ability where he can reframe a conversation, and you begin to discover a deeper reality around you. It's a bit like Alice tumbling down the rabbit hole. I'm releasing these conversations as an invitation to follow me as I go down that rabbit hole. Well, good morning, Mike. Good morning. So, uh, pretty, pretty, well, first, it's good to give you back chatting again. It's been a little yeah, while. Yeah, getting, getting the band back together. <laughs> That's right. Must be like the end of COVID. We're going to tour again. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be in your town shortly. <laughs> well, um, obviously, some big things going on in the world. Um, with the the current crisis in Ukraine, um, the the Russian invasion, uh, I'm I'm really just wanted to get some insight from you on how to perceive this. Um, you know, I, I was just just some some personal thoughts on it, reflecting on it. First of all, while just like many in America, I'm, I'm removed from this. And, and so I'm watching news. Um, however, many of those I work with are actually um, from that region and in, in that region and, and are pretty, um, pretty stressed out right now. Um, but but so I, I oddly find myself closer than I've ever have been to a, a world conflict. But um I'm just sort of having a, a rough time, not a rough time, but just a sort of, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what to make of this um, in, in general. Uh, and, and on the one side, it's, this is seemingly the first largest invasion of, of some sort since, uh, since World War II. So in my mm -hmm. entire lifetime, um, on the other hand, you know, we've seen America invade Afghanistan, different context, but, but still different military action in other regions. Um, definitely not a land grab like this one seems to be. Um, but then of course you, you can hear Western, uh, analysis of this front and then you can hear Eastern analysis of this front and both are different. Um, and so, uh, so it's just, you know, sort of the global scale of, I think, what we experience a little bit, even in the micro scale of, of COVID in America and what you hear from the left and from the right. And so, so again, just navigating truth is challenging. Um, but then humbly submitting to this as a believer, even and just, uh, how do you, how do you pray for God's sovereignty? What do you, what do you pray for in general? Um, what ought we be seeking out in this? And then even of course, take the, the large, maybe massive picture if this does continue to escalate if who knows where this goes but then what as a believer is is my responsibility to, to my country and how um, how do i how do i think through that um these are all the kind of thoughts that swirl in the background of my head as i'm as i'm working on on the day to day and and yeah. um you know nothing that's impacting today but still, just a lot of those background, that background, maybe noise that uh, I'm, I'm not sure what to make of the swirl. Well, obviously, uh, all of us are in that boat. Um, but uh, they're probably as, um, as believers, they're, 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 um, 
there are things we could at least, I don't know, might, you might call it lessons learned. And, and by the way, we should not in any way diminish the, the role that prayer has in this. And in that regard, uh, believers around the world have enormous uh, potential for some sort of dominion or influence. I mean, God only knows in what way uh, we, you read in scripture that we do not know how to pray. Particularly, in, in, we know the sort of the uh, general scaffolding of prayer and the Lord's Prayer, but in specifics here, it says, uh, as Paul wrote uh, in Romans, that we groan and creation groans and the Spirit in us groans. All three, three great groans because we're stuck in the middle. The world is not how it ought to be on one end, creation. And it's not what it will be on the other end. And in the middle, we feel stuck. We're limited from what we can see. But the good news in that passage, it says, go ahead and groan. Pray, groan, pour out your heart to God. And it says, this is remarkable, Pat. The Spirit of God translates your prayers into the will of God. Because there is, there is that uh, passage that I uh, can't remember right now, but we're supposed to pray according to the will of God. Would you ever think about that? Finite beings are supposed to pray according to the will of the infinite God. It's quite challenging. <laughs> That's a modest way to say it. <laughs> How about impossible? <laughs> and yet, well, for some, Mike, for some. For some, <laughs> like this guy right here. <laughs> And the prayer of the upright is his delight. So he delights in prayer. And I think that what he is saying is that as our, as our bridegroom to his spouse, pour out your heart. Pour out your heart. Because I, I have inseminated you with me. Because the Spirit is the Lord, Paul reminded the Corinthians, who knew we'd forgotten all of this. And uh, I'll translate it. In other words, your heart's in the right place. Pour out your heart. So we can pray, and that's important. We ought to. And I have been praying for this and led a workshop the other day. And when we came to uh, in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, I just began to weep. Um, because uh, I like how Dallas Willard defined the kingdom of God is the effective range of God's will. The effective range of God's will. Wherever God's will is in effect, there's the kingdom. But that means the kingdom ebbs, comes and goes. And um, that, e that even, even that mystery is difficult for a lot of believers to understand because they want to think, we'll go to church because that's where the kingdom is. Not necessarily. But clearly, that kingdom come in the Ukraine when missiles are raining down and on the innocence. Uh, that's not God's kingdom. So well, you pray. Yeah, that's I like that. And I'll just highlight what you said well, which is you know, well, your heart, your heart breaks. And that's not a uh, that's not a heart of contempt or just righteous anger. I, yeah, I, I like I like that. Um, that's right. That there are many sins 
capable of coming into our heart with uh, quote unquote righteous anger or contempt as we've talked about before. Yes. Yeah. You know, and let me touch on that too, because I'm glad you mentioned that there's a lesson here learned for a lot of uh, our friends here in the Western world, at least because uh, there are believers in probably on the far left or far right, both, but I uh, like to regale themselves in righteous anger and they forget that's attributed to Jesus uh, clearing out the temple. And you have to remember that the temple and Jerusalem are both throughout the Old Testament and all of the into Revelation are depicted as the bride. And so what you have is they are, these leaders are whoring the bride. They're doing what Gomer did with Hosea, sl slutting the bride, having the bride sleep around because you're doing it for money. That's called prostitution. And that's why Hosea married a prostitute to depict this and Jesus as the bridegroom, visibly upset as any husband would be if you went to downtown Annapolis to pull your wife away from one more night of whoring. And by the way, it goes both ways, wife with a husband. But in any event, enough of this righteous anger stuff because uh, I think we profoundly misunderstand it. Yeah. I'd like to suggest another thing where believers would, would benefit. And that's, you know, we've talked about and written a lot about that uh, the, the largest, the, the predominant uh, footprint or traditions in uh, Western Europe and particularly in the United States are evangelical formed from 18th and 19th century revivalists, a la Finney. And these, these revivalists and evangelicals gave rise to a new form of evangelicalism, unlike what Irenaeus was talking about. Evangelicals originally simply meant you, you relied upon or trusted in the apostolic writing, hence the creed, one holy Catholic apostolic church, Catholic universal apostolic, the apostles teaching. That was what he meant by evangelical. Evangelical today means more of uh, uh, full of fervor and passion but we're also come on the didactic enlightenment. And here's my point. The didactic is best intoned by Thomas Jefferson, who in 1815 wrote, enlighten the people generally and tyranny will disappear like the dew in the morning. How's that working out? Now, what he meant by that and what, how that's been understood, not by George Kennan, and we'll get to him in a moment, but by progressives on the left and conservativists on the right, is that we just better understood one another and enlightened one another. Uh, tyranny will disappear. If we just understood Putin a little better, if he just understood us a little better, that's why I was stunned before this broke out that uh, Macron, 
France as president. When the invasion became, uh, invaded, uh, began, the war began, he was shocked. He said, uh, he deceived me. Putin deceived me. <laughs> Excuse me, you were shocked? Hmm. Right, right. Have you not read what Putin did in 2014, 2016 with land grabs? Um, I thought even our president, uh, before this began, he said, what in the Lord's name is he thinking? Really? You have no idea what he's thinking? And Blinken came back and he that's exactly the words he used. He goes, I really have no idea what's going on in his head. Hmm. You have no idea as he amasses 190,000 troops on the border? George Kennan, to paraphrase him, would say something along the lines of, the problem is we, that not that we don't understand one another. The problem is we do understand one another. These are mutually exclusive views as to what brings about peace and prosperity. And Kennan hit the nail on the head. There is a deep sense of inferiority in Russia toward the West, hmm. which requires buffer states. The more, the better. I really don't think you're, that Putin wants all of Europe, but he sure wants back the former Soviet Union. And for us to be go, oh my gosh, what is he doing? I don't understand what's going on in his head. I know a little bit of what's going on inside his head, I would think, because I'm two years younger than Putin is. Putin's 69. And if you're a Christian, as you well know, we know the outer man is decaying. That's not just our physical body. That's sort of the, 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 that old flesh that if it is not being redeemed, gets worse and worse to where you can get to a, a what the hell. Hmm. We go and we marvel Westerners at the, what we've quote brought to the former USSR. And I hope listeners can make a distinction between Russia and the USSR. True Russians understand that the USSR, the, the Soviet republics were a cobbled together sort of kingdom of buffer states after World War II, a land grab that we in the West it was becoming apparent anyway to well, Britain was broke. France was battered. And the U.S. was just tired of the scarcity. And the feeling was we don't have the will at this point to say to the USSR, no, back to your borders. And Stalin took the gamble and said, I think, Militarily, we can't compete with them, but they, they're just tired of war. We're not. And so we acquiesced. And uh, you had uh, NATO and you had um, the USSR, but that's not Russia. And uh, 
But Russia with Putin wants that buffer back. And also the resources come with it. Well, so far, that's the best explanation I've heard yet. <laughs> Other no, than that, he's just crazy. <laughs> no, there, there's nothing. There's no. There's nothing original in that. I do think that what you have is, and this does irritate the East. That would be Russia, amongst others. Is that um, the West has, in many ways, gone soft with progressivism, and also just what's happened to education. I, I don't think that uh, the average uh, joke that I was one of the last six history majors undergraduate in the United States. Um, <laughs> there's actually colleges they talk about. There are more diversity faculty now. Their office is just to promote diversity than there are history professors. <laughs> wow. And so... You know, Churchill said, the only reason I can see further in the future is that I, I could look further into the past. The average, this includes Christians in the West, just stick to the United States. They, they, they have no next nothing about history. Yeah. They know, you know next to nothing about the church. They say, well, the book of Acts, and they gather in homes, and they worshiped, and that's what we're going to do. And now, now we're a New Testament church. Well, what the heck happened for 19, 2,000 years? I don't know. Yeah. I know everything has started from 1995 on. <laughs> and so when it comes to this in the same way, you can tell I'm getting a little worked up, is uh, we don't understand, you know, NATO was created in 1941. <laughs> the first Secretary General put it this way, keep the Soviet Union out, the Americans in, and the Germans down. And, uh, yeah, that's just kind of, bare bones that we have to contain, keep America in this thing interested in it because they tend to be isolationist. And we don't want Germany rearing its ugly head again. Well, what Germany has done for a long time is, A, they in some ways almost whitewashed some of their Nazism. But then their foreign policy has been mush for a long time. Robert Frost defined, a, you know, it's just a liberal policy and he'd find a liberal, someone who's too broad-minded to take his own side in a quarrel. <laughs> well, when you have a whole, so, you know, in the famous Harvard study of some 20, 25 years ago now, as a majority of students going through, especially elite universities, said they'd be reluctant to condone anyone as evil because that would be judgmental. Now, I want to ask you if you're sitting today in uh, Kiev and the shells are raining in, you're holding the body of your dead baby as a mother. How that would sound to you. Yeah, right. So I think that what we have, we've talked, you know, there's been a lot written on the coddled American. Jonathan Haidt has a great book on that. H-I-H-A-I-D-T, outstanding writer. And so we had this coddled, and I think a lot of Christians are coddled in the same way. And I frankly think as much as they shocked, they shouldn't be shocked. They forget, we may not be interested in war, but war is interested in us because that is how Lucifer embodied through not just a Putin, C, 
seeks to have dominion and Christians would be wise to read someone who, two authors who went through World War I and saw this thing in all its ghastly ugliness. J.R.R. Token writes of walking through trenches where you hear the crunch because you don't know through all the mud you're stepping on human, snapping human bones of corpses in the trenches. That's why he wrote what he wrote. But you have C.S. Lewis. And so when he comes to the end of his space trilogy, it's that hideous strength. And it's probably one of the books least read by Americans. That's good. That's good advice. I was thinking about, you know, Dan Carlin, who's a, a really well-known podcaster he writes or, or records the hardcore history podcast hmm. these are like hours hours longs uh he he claims he's not a historian but he just loves history mm-hmm. and it reminded me what you're saying reminded me of when he he talks a lot on his podcast he, he regularly reminds the the listener you must you must try to understand or put yourself in the shoes of someone in this era. You know, he's, he's not just telling the story of, of, of what happened, the events that unfolded, but he's really trying to help the listener understand what it was like to be someone in this era because the history doesn't make sense. Or you're not going to learn from it unless you, you do that. If you try to cast your 21st century self onto someone back then, you're going to miss the point. You're going to miss the learnings. And it, I've, I've thought similar things about this, this war, whereas 21st century American, this idea that someone else wants to go out and claim territory and expand, you know, we just, how do we comprehend that? So I, I like your recommendation to, to read some of these older authors. That's um, that particularly believers well-known believers who who were in war and how they comprehended that's a really good one yeah most of the history out there in my opinion right now it's being written as rubbish and uh so i'm, I'm i am I'm, i am appalled at uh you know again those who actually manipulate the social media so you, you now have a hardening on both sides so apparently they, you know there's a lot who just simply read one side of the story, the Russian side, then you have the others who read, but you don't get anybody who gets a, a, a fuller picture. Yeah. I would say, by the way, one of the best writers out there right now is Rick Atkinson. And if you, uh, listeners, you might want to read his trilogy of World War II. Uh, one person put it, it's history as biography. Um, as literature, rather. He is such a good writer. Mm. But uh, you will also, and you said, put yourself in the place. Again, when, first of all, if I was a Ukrainian and someone said they're going to denazify the Ukraine, I would take up arms too. And I would want to, uh, because that is, that is, um, beyond irksome when you read Atkinson and again 
I fault even Christians who say we like to read prettified history. We like to read, you know, um, stuff that doesn't soil our little lily ears. Mm. And uh, but uh, it's well known that as the Nazis went east through the Ukraine, which is Orthodox and Catholic, was never Nazi. So there's no denazification. But one of the atrocities was the widespread rape of women so gruesome and brutal that when the Nazis were in full retreat and the Soviets on their way, tens of thousands of women in Eastern Europe committed suicide. They would not go through that again because the Soviets were just as brutal. Wow. But no, we want to run off to watch some show because we're not interested in war. And uh, I also find it a quirky way that uh, when we're part of a tradition that uh, as uh, we've often kidded on this show, if the Enlightenment's right, we wouldn't cover our genitals, we would cover our brain because that's the most important thing that in uh, telling the gospel. But when you understand a better theology of why we have a body, then you begin to go, oh, that if I was Lucifer, I would go after that which best depicts. I'd brutalize women whose bodies depict Jesus' bride. And um, you'd also read in Atkinson's that when uh, Italy began to fall, it's a bit of comic, but it also again tells you about human nature. That the uh, the number one shipment coming in, the number one thing that they were they then fought the next war they fought after uh, uh, routing the Nazis out was VD. In other words, they're gone. Let the good times roll. <laughs> And, you know, we don't like to think about that. It's actually a humorous part of it, but it isn't humorous. I don't know. I've never had VD, but the fact is, I ever read, this was fascinating. So, again, I'm, I, I, too, read history. And Lewis and Clark, they're going west. The number one commodity they took was uh, whiskey. The number one thing they fought all the way across was VD. And it's one of the first explorations ever. They took no clergy, no priests, no, 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 nothing. Because it was, it was commissioned by Jefferson. But the number one thing that they fought all the way across was uh, rampages of VD. In fact, that's, it's, it's assumed that's why I, I think it was Meriwether Lewis, Lewis who eventually died on the Natchez Trace with the Trail, which is now the Natchez Trace Parkway of Mississippi. He was, he was, raving mad and uh, probably from syphilis but again we don't like to talk about that stuff because that's just if we just understood one another better <laughs> if we understood the times then we'd know why that's uh, a nonsensical phrase yeah well, this is helpful. So far, I've taken away, obviously, prayer as we started, and maybe not so obviously. I think as you as you started out with, it's not always so obvious. But uh, but prayer, uh, 
and even if it's just the groaning but I like where you led to which was getting to a place of weeping and letting that sink in and really settle in my soul and uh, in history history those are two really helpful pieces of advice here well there's a whole lot of history in the Bible that we either are unfamiliar with or don't like to read and um, uh, I'll guarantee you what is yeah this is a whole lot of uh, history you don't want to read so we're watching history here and you know how we are praying that will be done but uh, I'm praying that that so as best I can tell that um, overthrow Putin now I don't know what you know those who say oh that unleashed craziness in there or uh, well again sure sitting you can sit here in the comfort of the US and go hmm yeah and oh my gosh that could raise gas prices to six dollars a gallon hmm. uh, well that's telling right so I'm not insensitive to that because tomorrow Kathy and I would be at a pantry which primarily helps the Hispanic families and they will be adversely affected disproportionately affected by raising gas prices because I see the old vehicles haven't yet seen a Tesla come through hmm. and um, and I'm not interested in a government program of redistribution to rectify these things but um, but this in if this in some way wakes up Western Christians who in many ways are coddled and like living in Christian cul-de-sacs and just kind of lament a little bit gosh that, that is terrible what's going on over there without saying and in what ways have I in some way might in some way be connected or even culpable in some way because Jesus did say there are many who are dying who are part of my body and if one part of the body hurts the entire body hurts 